You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Morning, Rez. That was Thanksgiving. Everybody still awake? You got enough turkey in you? Don't sleep through the sermon. Don't blame it on the turkey. I know it is. It's all right. Well, this last two weeks before we, I cannot believe it is almost Advent, by the way. These last two weeks before we've been heading into Advent, our, our church, we always take a time out and we pause. And in this last two weeks, we focus on the theme of stewardship, what it means to have something that doesn't belong to us and what it looks like to put that wealth, that gift, that talent, that time, whatever it is to work for the sake of the kingdom. So we've been looking at that last week and this week, uh, we'll be continuing to look at that. And we're asking these questions. What is the wealth of the kingdom? You ever thought about this? Maybe let's back up. Some of you may be asking, wait, hold on. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is the realm, the space in which God does things the way that he does things. His reign and rule is brought upon something. That's where his kingdom is. Let me ask you this. What part of creation, what inch of the cosmos did not, does not belong to the kingdom of God? I think, I think he... He owns it all. It's all his. His reign and rule is comprehensive, and we even heard this in the readings. There's no other name above him. There's no other ruler that you can appeal to. You can't speak to his boss. He is the boss. Amen. This is the king that we have. And that's, friends, that is such good news that we have a king like Jesus. Amen. Gosh, can you imagine having any other kind of king? We have the best king. There is no better king. In fact, when we look at him, we see what power is actually meant to look like, how it's meant to be used. And when we look at him, we see what wealth looks like and how it's meant to be used. So we ask, what is the wealth of the kingdom? Well, this morning, our passage, it seems to kind of blur some lines between what is the stuff that we possess and, or the people that we're to serve and Jesus's presence among that stuff and among those people. We're going to get to that. What is the wealth of the kingdom? How has it been entrusted to us? We've been thinking about this. What are the gifts and the talents or the, the brain power or the, just the natural abilities, but also even the practical wealth that God has given us? How has it been entrusted to us? And what is it meant to be used for? For our own needs? I mean, Black Friday, Sean, this is really inconvenient to be talking about this. What's that stuff for? And are we to operate in this kingdom of God, out of a place of fear, of running out, not having enough for ourselves, out of scarcity? Or is there something, a different kind of mode that's operating in the kingdom of God? We talked about this last week. It's a place of abundance. God is never in want. Everything we have comes from him. He doesn't run out. There's no zero sum. God doesn't have to take something from someone else to give it to someone else. Does that make sense? We live in the kingdom of abundance. And this king, who is good, who is all-powerful, who never lacks anything, he has entrusted this wealth, these gifts, these things, these people to us to tend to. What is the work that the king has given us to do? These are the questions we've been looking at in these last two weeks. And what a great moment, right before we head into the holiday season, and especially coming right after Thanksgiving, where we get to pause and say, God, Everything we have has been given from you. We're so grateful for that. God, we are grateful for you. 
What a great moment to pause as a church and consider these questions together. Well, this morning our reading in Matthew 25 gives us this really terrifying and wonderful picture of the end of the age. Some might say it's a parable. It's actually not a parable. It's not like a metaphor for something that else is, that's going to happen. It is, it is an assured image of where history is headed. You want to read the last chapter of the book? You want, to, you want to watch the end of the movie and see where things end up? This is where things end up. And not just in like church land or theology land or inner spirituality land. This is where real human history arrives at the end of the age. Isn't that kind of mind-blowing? Did you hear that picture? Did you see it? Should sound familiar to us. We saw the echoes of it in Ezekiel 34 from our reading, but you would also be familiar with this image if, if you read Daniel chapter seven. It's all over the prophets, this picture. It's nothing new. So when Jesus is, is drawing out this picture for his disciples, some of them, if they were good Jews, would, would recognize, you know what? I've heard this before. This isn't new. Sounds familiar. It's a picture of Christ, the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds in the end to sit on the throne. Just as you all profess every week, he comes to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We say this every week. This is what we believe. This is where human history is heading. So why does the Lord share this picture with us? Maybe he's like the other rulers who would share an image like this to intimidate us, to coerce us, to scare us, maybe to make us feel guilty. Man, I don't take care of the poor. I'm terrible at this. I better get my act together. Maybe he wants to impress us. Do you think those are his motivations for sharing this image? No, right? You guys know Jesus, right? Would he, would he do that? No? Yes? He wouldn't do that. Of course he wouldn't do that. He has no need to do that. We've got some work to do, folks. And how does this end picture that Jesus is showing us, how does this fit into the larger narrative of the Christian story? Is this just something, you know what? It's the last week of the liturgical year. We've got to stick it somewhere. I guess we should just put it there. Um, and we don't really like to talk about judgment. And man, reformed, if you're reformed, I know you struggle with this because it seems like what's being put on this, the page here in scriptures, you're going to be judged according to your deeds. Let's hide that one at the end of the year so we don't really have to deal with it. Is that what's going on this morning? No, of course not. What's going on in this picture that Jesus gives us is a huge heads up, a revelation of where things are headed. This kind of, this area of theology, if you were to, to go to seminary or if you were to just study theology, it's really basic. This whole school of thought is called eschatology because it's the theology of the eschaton, the fulfillment of all things, all time, all purposes come to its head in this moment in eschatology. This is the story that we're looking at, or this is, this is what we're looking at in this biblical story. This is where it's all heading. And Jesus, in painting this picture of the eschaton, he's giving us a warning mercifully giving us a heads up. See what's coming. See where you will end your life. The kingdom of God is at hand. Not only in the future that's in the pages that we read about and anticipate, but also this kingdom of God is rushing forward to meet us in really uncomfortable ways that we'll read in just, this just a second in our passage. So with this heads up, not to impress us, not to make us feel guilty, not because this is an afterthought on the Christian story, 
But Jesus gives us this picture as a really gracious invitation to then orient our lives, to change the direction of our lives, the way we use our wealth, the way we use our work, everything about us, to put that to the service of this end that is surely coming. What a merciful thing to do for us. Hey, folks, pay attention. Here's where it's all heading. Now act accordingly. Let me show you what I mean. I want to show you in Matthew 25, verse 31. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with us. Verse 31, it begins like this. Let me read it for us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Picture that. That should scare all of us a little bit. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Rank and file of angel armies and angel armies and angel armies. Talk about military power. Then he will sit on the throne in his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. It's this picture we're getting of this king in the end of the age. We can, we can somehow picture like, okay, he's all-powerful. Okay, we get that. But he's also totally different than any other king that we've seen because he's also, in gathering all the nations, he's a shepherd king, separating the sheep from the goats. Based on what? Wait, you're saying Jesus is going to judge us? Based on what? Scriptures tell us he's going to separate us by those who have tended to his presence when he was with the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and those in prison. Wait a second, Jesus. When did we ever see you in that shape? The righteous will answer, when, would, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever give you food? When did we ever give money to you? I don't remember that. We would have remembered that. When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? And the king will answer, listen to this. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. The heart, at the heart, the very center, the burning center of the kingdom of God is this act of giving, of this act of being not the center of all need, but actually paying attention to the needs of others and tending to their needs. Why? Because social justice is wonderful? No, we've got actually a way better reason than that, because the king is with those who are in need. And so our participation in this fundamental act of self-giving love to others is actually tending to the king that we love. Is this optional for the Christian life? It doesn't seem that it is, unless you want to be a goat. Wow, this is uncomfortable. Those who don't tend to the, his presence, they enter into an eternal separation from God. Jesus issues the most stern and serious warning that he can issue in Scripture. He says to those who, who think that they can opt out of this giving life, this generous, self-giving life, in the form of care or generosity or hospitality to those in need, don't fool yourself. You cannot be my disciple and not serve the poor and those in need. 
What a neon sign for us as Christians. Those who profess Jesus as king, there is actually a life, a behavior, an act that accompanies that confession. If we're going to be full of integrity, if we're going to be honest with each other, to say Christ is king is to serve him wherever he has declared himself to be, especially in the poor, is what the scriptures tell us. What a beautiful end in sight, too. It's an end, this picture that Jesus gives us, where you are not at the center. Let that sink in for a second. It's, I got to sink that one in for a minute. I'm not the center of the universe at the end of the age, but in fact, King Jesus is. Where are we aiming our lives? If we were to look at the way we spend our lives, if we were to look at how we interact with or tend to those in need, what would that tell us about where our life is pointing? What end are we anticipating? Where do we think this is all heading? What are we aiming for? Jesus' terms gives us something really clear. He said, look, there's two aims here. You can be a sheep or you can be a goat. You decide. Those whose lives are aimed to the end that we see Jesus sitting on the throne, their lives act accordingly by serving the poor now. The kingdom is present with us now and those in need act accordingly, Jesus invites us. And everyone else who would just rather not, you'll be separated out as goats. Yikes. Do you see how the declaration of the kingdom of God isn't just something put away in the future that we can deal with when we get there, but is actually in really uncomfortable ways breaking into the present moment. Even in the past, the kingdom of God has been breaking in. And in the most unexpected places, not in the places that you would expect, like at church with robes where we can all shake each other's hands and be super nice and say like Christian things to each other, but actually in the most unexpected places in the dirtiest, most lonely corners of the earth with the poor, the kingdom is breaking in. And Jesus is super clear. This is not an optional thing for you to pay attention to, folks. If you're my disciple, you will discern my presence in these places and in these moments of need with these people, the poor, those alone, the widows, those in prison. Did you visit me in prison? If our lives are aimed toward Jesus, then our lives take a certain shape now. Does that make sense? How is this future coming about? What is the sign of the future breaking in? How will we recognize it? This was actually, these questions were actually the questions the disciples asked one chapter earlier that got, that got Jesus preaching for a whole chapter. What was the thing that started the whole thing? Well, the disciples said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming again? What will be the sign of this future that is coming? Well, now the disciples have their answer. We have our answer. When you see the people of God participating in the kingdom by their care for the poor, you'll see those spaces of the kingdom opening up in their lives. There's your sign. There's your signal. When you see my people living lives selflessly for the sake of others, you'll find the kingdom. That's your sign. Jesus isn't calling us. Let me be super clear. Oh, Sean, you're preaching like a social justice or something. No. That's not the case. Jesus is not calling us to make the world a better place. If you're a Christian to make the world a better place, um, there are way, way better reasons to be a Christian. He's not calling us to make the world a better place, though the presence of the kingdom will make the world a better place for sure. What he's calling us to do is to participate in the renewal of the world, the renewal of all things. And guess what it looks like? 
It looks like our care for others. This is the way, these are the plain ways that Jesus is actually renewing all things, making all things new, is through the lives of his people, his body in the world, tending to the needs of others, especially those who are in most need. What the world needed to set things right long ago, the world has already. We are not going to come in and by our feeding the poor, we're going to like fix the world. The world has been resolved in its problems. The world has actually been set right. How? In the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. What was required, he took care of for us. Praise God. And now, this future that we are now set on, this, this plumb line heading into the eschaton, the future of all things, that's already been determined. It's only a decision for us, are we going to participate in this future that is coming to meet us? The sign of this kingdom, the sign of this future breaking in will, will be seen in our lives, the lives of the people of God. Those who live, not to make the better world a better place, but those who live in response to the gospel, Christ has died, Christ is, is risen, Christ will come again. That's our banner. That's why we live the way that we do for the sake of others, because of Christ. Folks, Rez, our story, our name is a name, is a story about once there was death and now God is making all things new. This is who we are. And in fact, this church does this really, really well. You guys embody this kind of resurrection living. I've seen it. I won't call you out by name, but I could give you a laundry list of people in this church who to me are heroes in the way that they care for the poor, in the way that they host others in their homes, in the ways that they give of themselves for the sake of others. You guys are champions at this. Can we keep going at this? Can, can even we inspect our motivations for these things, not just to be like, well, I got to do this so that uh, like Sean doesn't harass me about not doing something or I don't know, uh, but because, or, you know, this is the vision of resurrection. No, can we do this because this is where history is headed and this is what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom of God? Can we do this in response to the fact that Christ has died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again? Can we care for others knowing and expecting that we will find the presence of Jesus in those that we care for? That's a different ballgame of care, isn't it? It's a different ballgame of generosity and giving. This is what's underway in the kingdom of God. Those kinds of acts. Acts of mercy. Solidarity with the lonely. These are the marks of the people who have sincerely and truly inherited the kingdom. And you don't have to argue about it. You can see it in their lives. I'm not sure where everyone in this room has come from. I, I know, though, uh, for a fact that some of us have come from places, some pretty rough places, where giving has been taught in such a way that's um, been really unhelpful for you, even maybe like guilt-driven. It's not, it's not so here. We, we talk about giving because it's just part of our conversion to Christ. We want to give everything to the Lord. We do so joyfully, not out of guilt. You may have come from that place. E even some of you may have come from a place or other churches or other experiences in which serving is a way of earning uh, appreciation or merit. Not so at this church and not so in the kingdom of God. Acts of mercy, maybe you have been like compelled to do this because, well, if we don't do it, like we're in big trouble. You will be held accountable for all your actions and your wealth. Yes, let's be clear. But we have better motivations than guilt and fear in the kingdom of God to participate in these acts of mercy and service and giving. So I want to I wanna acknowledge, I know we come from complicated backgrounds with this. I know there are so many stories in this room that even give us really good reason. If we were to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, you could give me really good reasons about why you should never risk doing that again. 
I'm sure that those stories are here. I've been abused. I've been disappointed. We know better now. I get that. Whatever your reasons are, I want to invite you to be healed today of whatever those reasons that have caused fear or anxiety or those excuses that we give, like, I can't ever do that again. I want to invite you to come to Jesus this morning and be healed of those things, for him to set those things right, to renovate our hearts, to renew our acts of generosity, our excitement in serving and giving to others, that we could truly not miss out on becoming stewards of the kingdom because of past wounds, but that those past wounds would be healed, that we could be put to work for the service of the kingdom. That's what Jesus desires for us this morning. So I want to invite you, be healed. Come into the kingdom. Find not a place where you have to be afraid, but a place where you can give out of perfect safety. You are not threatened. You are totally safe in the kingdom of God. And there is abundance here for us to give so freely and joyfully. Folks, this is the way to live. This is the good life. When we're with Jesus in the safety of his kingdom and in the abundance of his wealth, this is where the people of God have been set free to live. This is what it means to be a steward of the kingdom. In a world that tempts us to make our money, our time, our talents, everything that we possess, our world pressures us to use this to serve our own agenda, to meet our own needs. It can be so tough, so tough to set those things aside, make that change to actually put it to use for Jesus and his kingdom. But friends, can I urge you, it is so worth risking. It is so worth it. I'm not saying this as someone who's like figured it out. I'm still wrestling with this. I look at our church and go, man, we still have some ways that we can grow in this. But isn't it worth the risk to take all that we have and ascribe it to the Lord and his kingdom and put it to work for his use? It's so much better than what we would do with it. It's so worth risking. Can you think about the wealth that you have, the special brain power that you have? We have so many brilliant people here the hospitality, the natural gifts of hospitality, the skill sets and kindness that we have in this church that is so, is, it's just be asking to be given away for the sake of the kingdom for others here in South Austin and even among us. And when we do that, we can do that knowing that we will see these spaces of the kingdom of God opening up in our lives today, this week, this month, not in the future, not in the clouds somewhere, but we get to see the kingdom of God breaking in now in our lives if we risk giving all of this to the Lord and participating in his will. And if that's not motivation enough, friends, in these moments when we give, guess who we find? Guess who we meet? Guess who we come closer to? Jesus himself. If we could only, as Mother Teresa says, recognize him in all of his distressing, distressing disguises. This has been... If you look back at like the mystical history of theologians in the church, all of them have this kind of thread apart, uh, thread throughout all their thought and their, all their spirituality that they find the presence of the Lord in all of his distressing disguises, especially in the poor, especially in children, especially those in weak. We find Jesus in these moments. This morning, our kids are going to lead us in the offertory. They're going to show us, adults, what it looks like to enter the kingdom as children taking all that we have and bringing it unto the Lord. 
They, uh, in the class, they've been either drawing uh, things that are important to them, things that are valuable to them. Some of them have actually brought things from home. I saw a longboard earlier. I don't know what that's about. But kids have brought these things that are of value to them, that are important to them. And in the classroom, we've been talking at the same time as we've been talking about stewardship. The kids have been talking and learning about stewardship. And so we're going to get to see what it looks like to take those things that are so important to us and place them at the altar and say, Lord, would you use these for your kingdom, all that I have? So I want to invite you, as you witness our children, let's follow suit. Let's let them lead us. Let's follow right behind them and give all that we have for the kingdom. Let's take their lead, entering just as children again into the presence of God this morning. May we at Res be found as faithful stewards of all the things that God has given us, especially as we come to the end of this year, head into a new year. May we be found as sheep. May our lives look generous for the sake of others. May we risk coming into his presence with all that we have and giving it to him joyfully and freely. Amen? Amen. Let's take a quick moment of silence to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us as we continue to come to the altar. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.